Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio, I'm Jason Bellamy. The number of total knee replacement surgeries has more than tripled over the past two decades. But the growing popularity of the procedure and the improved outcomes shouldn't distract from the fact that total knee replacement surgery is an invasive and expensive procedure. Put another way, total knee replacement is a significant surgery, and that gives knee replacement patients and their families a lot to think about. Physical therapist Louise Chegwidden watched patients and families struggling to cope with the information overload that accompanies total knee replacement surgery, and she decided that there had to be a better way. So she wrote what is in essence a guidebook to preparing for and recovering from the surgery, called Granny Gets a New Knee, and a whole lot more. In this episode of Move Forward Radio, Louise discusses some of the things patients and family caregivers should know about total knee replacement surgery perhaps most crucial of which are the benefits of seeing a physical therapist before the procedure. Here's our conversation with Louise Chegwin. Louise, why don't we start with a plot synopsis of the book. Tell me what it's about. The book is about a woman who is signed up for her knee replacement surgery and meets a physical therapist who's also a Feldenkrais practitioner, teacher of somatic, which is learning how to improve the way you move, and the process that she goes through in order to prepare for the surgery. I wanted to make it very accessible to people, so I came upon the idea of creating a story rather than just a plain, straight-up textbook, which there are many out there, wonderful textbooks. But I wanted to make it something that paralleled a process that anyone could go through, and that was... Every week she would go to a class to learn a new exercise that she would be using after the surgery. Then she'd come home and her grandson, Jerome, who was very engaged and very concerned about her and lives next door with his mom and dad, he was becoming involved in helping her prepare. So he would read out the instructions for her. And this was a model that I wanted to offer to people preparing for surgery, and anyone who wanted to improve the way they were moving, not just for someone with knee pain or someone readying for surgery. The book is full of the family. So this is what I learned from working with people after knee replacement surgery was that I saw in households where there were a lot of people around, whether it was the family members, whether it was the community, friends, that the people who had full support, people coming, bringing meals, people taking them to and from appointments, those people were able to really fully focus on their rehabilitation, to take rests when they needed to, to get somebody to bring the ice so they weren't walking to the fridge or having to set that all up. Those are the people that really were able to heal and have peace of mind, actually, so that they were focused on their healing. I saw several people who became very distressed and very depressed, and that's not conducive. That's not going to help them have their best outcome from the surgery. You mentioned that this is 
it's an alternative essentially to a textbook, and there is lesson information in there, but it's a story as well. And is it written from the perspective of one of the individuals? Is it written more as a how-to? You know, how's the book structured in that sense? The first half of the book is written from Jerome's perspective in dialogue form. So you hear the voice of Granny, you hear the voice of Jerome, and each chapter is one of the lessons. And so at the back of the book, the second half of the book is the information. So it's the lessons, it's diagrams of the lessons and the instructions for the lessons, but it's also a suggested schedule for, you know, well, how much do you do these exercises or lessons? How often do you do them? When do you do them? When do you use ice? How do you go from sitting to standing? How do you roll over? How do you use the exercises, not just as, well, I'm going to learn these exercises to just repeat them over and over, but how do these movement lessons then translate or transfer into your everyday movement, going up and down stairs, how to roll over in bed, how to get up out of bed, what equipment you need. So all the practical information is in the back. So my idea was that people would have a more comprehensive way of getting ready for the surgery. So the lessons obviously are targeting the individual who's had the knee replacement, but as you mentioned, you really make this a family affair. I'm assuming anybody that's in that family, part of that care team, or somebody observing a family member going through this can take something away from this. Is that right? Yeah, so all the family members have got something going on. The dad, Ernesto, plays guitar. The mom, Daisha, is having problems with her computer use. And Jerome is a basketball player. So my idea was continue with this family that you get to know and follow through on different ways that these movement lessons can be used for whatever it is that you have. That the commitment is learning how it is that you're doing things so that you can improve the way you're doing whatever it is that you enjoy. And we see it everywhere. I mean, here in the Bay Area where I live, on any morning in Golden Gate Park, you can see scores of people outdoor doing Tai Chi. So there's a, this understanding that you can improve the way you move. These lessons are definitely designed for, for anybody to do that. There's universal appeal there. The other universal appeal I was thinking of, too, is, you know, you're obviously talking about an individual condition, right? A woman who's getting a knee replacement. That's very specific. But in terms of how, in the story, the family comes together to deal with this problem, and earlier you mentioned the caregiver relationship that's necessary and how beneficial that is. Is this book helpful in that respect to someone who might have an older family member who has some other medical problem in terms of looking at this and saying, okay, this is how we need to support this person? Absolutely. Having worked in home health and seeing people often struggling with that process, one of the things that's so important is that the person who's giving the care makes sure that they have backup, that nobody can do 24-7 care. It's not sustainable, so it's so important that they're getting support for that themselves. There's one episode in the book where Granny snaps at Jerome because she's in pain and she had a long day the day before and didn't do her eyes or she sat for too long. And so watching how they handle that and how they go through that is absolutely something that would happen with anybody going through the frustration or the pain or the fear around whatever their condition is. So I just wanted to touch in on that aspect of 
how do you deal with that and how do you hold for somebody in that condition that you don't get pulled into it, you just kind of go, okay, this is remembering the story and the bigger picture and how do you just continue to be supportive? And if you need to, you get to talk about that with somebody else. You get to express your sadness or your fear or your frustration rather than engaging with the person who's going through the episode, whatever it is. So you've given essentially two pieces of advice here already for a sort of a family caregiver. One is to make sure that they have backup, that they're not trying to do it all themselves. And the other is to kind of make sure they have emotional support and the ability to not internalize what's going on around them. Beyond that, as a physical therapist, when you see these family members watching somebody who obviously means so much to them deal with a physical problem, what other advice do you give them? Making sure that you take care of yourself, that your care of the other person involves and engages them in the process so that when you really want something for somebody else, you can tend to be a little myopic about that and be focused. You know, I've noticed that the therapists come and give them exercises that the family member can stand over the person and really become a drill sergeant and only because they really want them to do well. And sometimes that's not appropriate for the person. Sometimes it's so important always, actually, to listen to the person and see where they're at and how do you offer suggestions, how do you involve them in the process of decision-making, that no matter how old you are, no matter what condition you're in, everybody likes to feel that the decisions are still theirs, that they haven't been kind of co-opted and somebody else is making the decisions for them. So it's very important to involve them, to ask them what it is that they need or what is it that they would like. Therapists are very good at helping them set their own goals. So what would you like to be able to do and what do we think is attainable, what is reasonable and break it down into small steps so that you have success because especially with any long-term condition, you're going to have ups and downs and it's very important that they feel like, oh, okay, I'm making some kind of progress, whatever it is, along lines that are important to them. So you mentioned you wanted to make this book that wasn't a textbook, but that provided this information in a way that could be more easily understood. What in general inspired you to write the book? I mean, was it seeing certain situations as a physical therapist? What made you think this book needs to be out there? There's a message people aren't getting. I was working as a physical therapist for home health, so I was going out into people's homes. And you learn very particular things when you go out into somebody's home that's very different than if they're coming into the clinic or the hospital where you're working. You get to meet everybody. You get to meet the family. You get to train the family members to support the patient or client. For the specifics of this book, that people who were having this surgery, they were coming home and pretty quickly these days, you get home a couple of days after the surgery, so you're only in hospital for a short period of time. And this is a major surgery, and so you're at home, you're suddenly swollen, you've got pain, you're on pain medication, and somebody arrives and says, right, now do this, do this, learn this exercise, that exercise, do blah, 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 blah. And it felt like this was a really tough situation to put somebody in and that I sensed that there was this gap that wouldn't it make sense to teach the person the exercises or movement practices that they needed for after the surgery to teach them those before the surgery. 
And I think this is becoming more prevalent now. It's happening more often all around the world that people are recognizing that if you do the movement exercises, if you learn them beforehand, and not just with this idea of, well, strengthen the muscles and then you'll be better off after the surgery, but rather preparing them comprehensively, like, you know, you're going to need to have somebody help you with your food, or if you don't have somebody, cook a whole bunch of food and freeze it so that you can just heat it up for yourself, or make sure that you've got your family members lined up, that you've got any work that you need to get done, that you've got that taken care of, that you delegate all that work, that your home is set up well beforehand. A lot of people I've had from writing the book, I've now had the the privilege of preparing several people before surgery. And one of the things that that kept coming up was these people were living in a two-story house and they just figured they'd be up in their bedroom and they'd set that up. And I encouraged them to set themselves up downstairs. That the idea of you come home so quickly after surgery and several of these people had multiple steps to get up even to their first floor where their kitchen was and the bathroom and that first day out of hospital would be already so exhausting that the idea of going up another 20, 30 steps was going to be devastating and that you want to make sure that when you're coming out of hospital that you gradually, very gradually increase the amount of walking you do or the amount of steps that you do, that anything that overtaxes your knee in that situation often will just blow you up and have so much swelling that it puts you back in terms of your ability to move your knee and your ability or desire to get up and move around. And that, again, was a gap that I was seeing that these kind of minutiae, the details, were not being addressed. And I wanted to really make sure that this information got directly into the hands of the people who were going to be going through the surgery. So you mentioned that this family may go through other adventures. If you write the next book, what will it be? Well, I had the title organized and everything, Jerome Bounces Back. So he's a basketball player, so he's going to have an ankle injury, which is the most common injury for basketball players. But now I encourage people when they write books to write about what they know. I have an 11-year-old boy in the house at the time I was writing this book, and now he's a 13-year-old boy. And what I'm seeing with him and his peers is that the amount of time that they spend in front of computers and screen time and managing that and helping him to monitor himself rather than it being a strict top-down situation, but rather how do I assist him in developing for himself a sense of I've been at the computer for this amount of time, I need to take a break, I need to get up, I need to make sure I stay active. I've taught him lessons that he can do that help him make sure that he's using his whole self at the computer rather than just his hands or his wrists or his fingers. So I'm feeling like instead of the computer use being about Jerome's mom, that actually it's the young people that I need to target right now and and their parents because from speaking with parents about their kids and seeing what's happening with these teens who are spending so much time on the computer and also the difference being that we as adults, you know, I didn't start using a computer until I was in my 30s 
these kids are now starting, you know, basically as soon as they can sit, some of them are already on a computer or at least using an iPhone for games or an iPad or whatever it is. The difference is that their skeletons, their spines are still growing. Ours were already complete when we started spending time in front of a computer, and even then a lot of people have problems. So what's going to happen to a generation that are shaping the growth of their spine and our spines, our bones respond to the way we use ourselves. So they're shaping themselves around a computer. I know that they're doing some research in Italy and Milan where they were noticing that the eye function of kids, that they were becoming so convergent that they were unable anymore to focus out what happens when you go outside, when you go into the woods or you're seeing the ocean or that your eyes diverge so you learn to use the muscles and to be able to open up to take in that larger landscape or seascape. And now these kids, their eyes are so convergent because they spend so much time looking at a flat screen. What is that doing in terms of their brain development, their socialization, their physical well-being. So that's what I'm seeing and that's what I'm responding to. That's kind of where I'm thinking that's a need. And with my training both as a physical therapist and a Feldenkrais teacher, this is totally avoidable. We can get this information out to people. And I would really encourage parents to just notice and see what's happening with the kids. And a lot of sports injuries that we think are the intrinsic sports injuries, and that means the ones that are not somebody's playing football and smacks into somebody else and is injured that way, but rather somebody's jogging around or running around the bases, for example, and pulls a hamstring. That we think of that as a sports injury, but especially with young people, I think often it's, well, this person is sitting at a, a desk for hours. They're sitting with their hip flexed or bent and their knee bent, and so the hamstrings become shortened. So what seems like a sports injury is actually more related to what they're spending most of their day doing. And these are kids who are sitting at desks at school, then they come home and they sit at the computer, and most of the homework is done now at a computer as well. So I'm recognizing and seeing this need. It's hard to get out there because we haven't had the epidemic yet, but I imagine it's coming. And I'd much rather we do something about it beforehand. Well, that's a great topic to hit next. Good luck with that. Please check with in. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guest is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com radio.